Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. I'm Ryan. I'm John. And this is Chris. And this week on Get to the Good Part, it's Chapter 10. We are headed to Middletown, Ohio. Well, not actually Middletown. It's more like the simulated version of Middletown, Ohio. But before we get there, just a reminder to everybody on July 28th, that's this week, we will be doing our first ever live episode from Sutry's High Gravity Tavern in downtown Knoxville. That's 409 South Gay Street in downtown Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, beginning at 7 o'clock Eastern time. We're also going to be live streaming this event uh, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And we're going to be raising money for the Extra Life Foundation. We're super excited about it. We hope you can join us at least for the live stream. If you can join us live, that's even better. Like we said before, we're going to hang out for a little while afterwards, meet anybody who shows up, fans of the show, play some hang out a little bit. It should be a pretty good time. Play Cruisin' World. Play Play Cruisin' Cruisin' World. World. Play Joust. They've got the Adams Family Arcade Machine. Oh. And the South Park Arcade Machine. They have uh, any pinball machines? Oh, yeah. Wait. Uh, When I said it, sorry. I I meant the pinball machines. (laughs) (laughs) The Adams Family Pinball Machine and the Adams Family... Or, God damn it. <laughs> Just stumbling tonight. It's okay. It's okay. Fuck it. You're excited. <laughs> pinball. South Park and Adam's Family pinball machines. All right. And Adam's yeah. Family was my favorite. Adam's Family was a kick-ass pinball machine. Oh. I still play that one when I go there, and it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I think it's the first one I go to. It's weird because they have a ton of stand-up arcade machines there, mm-hmm. but the pinball machines are always what people are crowding around. Yeah. Now, do they have a joust machine, right? Yes. Yeah, they do have a joust machine. I'm looking forward to, to ending on a, on a joust. I Is that what's a, happening? Um, that's how that ends. I know that's how it ends in the book, and it, well, would, be, it would seem appropriate that it would I end don't want like to. I don't want to spoil anything for you guys. We've been hard at work uh, writing, rewriting the module or adding a little bit of a twist to the module. Um, it does not end with a joust game. Just because logistically, it would be kind of difficult to get the cameras over there and all that kind of thing. Uh, but if you show up to the live show, we'll play you in jazz. <laughs> it, it ends with a coin flip. <laughs> Something like that. I'm not going to reveal how it ends. How many fingers am I holding up? I can tell you this. It's hysterical. You're going to love it. Okay. Okay. So that's the live show. Again, July 28th. That's uh, this coming Friday. Hope you can make it. If you can't, join us on the live stream. Let's raise some money for charity and have a good time. All right. The year, again, is 2045. Wade Watts has just claimed the Copper Key. Uh, and right now, he's exiting the Tomb of Horrors to make his way to Halliday's hometown, or at least the simulated version of Halliday's hometown, Middletown, Ohio. 
Uh, and that's because of a clue that was inscribed on the key. I have it written down. Uh, that reads, what you seek lies hidden in the trash on the deepest level of Daggerath. Didn't take way long to figure out what that clue means. Um, so he's heading for the first time in his Oasis life to the Middletown simulation. Now, you got to imagine that outside of the fact that he's got the copper key, there's a lot of different things going on in his head. But I'm sure he is ecstatic about seeing this first, well, sort of firsthand in the simulation for the first time, right? I mean, this is this is like his Graceland, you know, sort of. This is like this is a tourist attraction inside the Oasis. Uh, I'll tell you what I thought was really cool because what what I'm going through the book trying to figure out is kind of predicting in my mind where the keys and the gates would end up being located. And I didn't want to talk about this until this particular chapter. But what's interesting here is that this particular planet has uh, buildings that were there that he wrote and he coded. So you'd think shit that he coded, he can hide stuff in. And there are lots of copies of it. So right off the bat, you know that in his mind, he's predicting that once shit breaks wide open, that there needs to be an unfettered access to be able to get to uh, the next stop or the next, the gate. Well, this is, this is an interesting thing too. When I was writing down my notes for this chapter, this is one thing that came up. Um, he, he refers to it as, you know, when uh, Anorak's invitation first aired right after Halliday's death, this became grand central terminal for Gunters because this was the place to pick through. They figured if there was going to be a clue or anything, it was going to be in this, you know, special project of his, his, uh, you know, in Middletown, uh, the Middletown simulation. Um, one thing, and we'll kind of, we'll kind of flip back to the aesthetic of the place in a second, but just bouncing off what you were saying, Chris, there was one part in this particular part, uh, with regard to it being, you know, there being a bunch of copies of this, there was something that I thought was kind of confusing in the way that, uh, Ernest Klein wrote this. And I want to see if you guys caught it too. Okay, this is the way it's written directly in the book. Shortly after the hunt began, this planet had turned into Grand Central Station, and all 256 copies of Halliday's hometown had been scoured and ransacked by endless parade of gunters, all searching for keys and clues. The popular theory on the message boards was that Halliday had created multiple copies of his hometown so that several avatars could search it at the same... Okay. Shit, I I misread that. God. Well, how did it hit you? Well, like, the what first was your time I read it, it, it read was it. like the popular theory was that there were that there were several copies. It was like, yeah, we already know that. Mm-hmm. But he's saying why he made several copies. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I off the bat, I I realized that this is obviously going to hold a clue at some point in the quest. So, sure, of course, he's going to make multiple copies of this of this town, but. I was wondering, and this might be, this is a question for Chris, actually. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if there was any significance in the number 256 as far as coding is concerned. Yeah, uh, 256 is uh, like, it's a memory reference. Like, it's the max that you can fit into a given space. But without me actually, like, plugging and playing, that's, that is how that number rings to me. Okay. So yeah. you're saying that that's a general, a generally accepted number by people who are creating a piece of software, or two hundred fifty-six? Um, it's like a, is an, just 
it's like an allocation of memory. It's a chunk of memory. Okay. So when they were kind of like dividing up memory, uh, you know, you have your bytes, you have your bits and your bytes, mm-hmm. and then you start kind of going up further than that. So when you talk about uh, when I when I go in and I'm assigning, like when I'm creating a database and I create like a, a, a segment of space, at least a number of years ago, I could say 256 characters. And that would be a nice segment that fits into a good block of memory. But granted, okay. man, it's been a while since I've even had to even think about that sort of thing. So I might not be getting it a hundred percent, but that's how that number strikes me. But beyond that, I don't I don't know that there's anything more special. Okay, I didn't I didn't know. It just it it seemed like it might have some significance as far as in the coding world that he lived in when he was creating this. So I yeah, I just it's a number that it was a question that popped up as, as I read over that. So so we've got we've got that there are two hundred and fifty six copies of of Middletown just sort of repeating. He says at one point that if he got there and another Gunter was occupying a room, he could just drive 25 miles in any direction and hit another copy of, of Middletown. So you can almost imagine it is a globe of just little square plots of Middletown mm-hmm. that fit. Yeah. Um, so when he gets there, he comes out of the, uh, out of the, the teleportation terminal and walks out. And the first thing he notices is uh is is the NPCs standing around there? Um, uh, he describes one woman as having an ozone depleting hairdo, just just <laughs> in, in a kind of gray members only jacket, just leaning against the wall. Okay, first thing that comes to my mind in this scene, first thing that comes to my mind is when uh, Michael J. Fox gets out of the DeLorean and Back to the Future Two and goes into Cafe Eighties. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And I also thought about, uh, you know, he walks out of the, the it's a phone booth on this planet. So he walks out of that and he, he mentions the fact that it feels like he's walking out of a time machine. And I thought it was kind of a, again, you referenced this last, uh, last time, uh, uh, a la Bill and Ted traveling via <laughs> phone book, yeah. you know? And weird that, that it's still not brought up. Bill and Ted's just still yeah until this point, up. but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's never brought up, Bill and Ted. I don't think Bill and Ted get shortchanged. Is that what you're saying? Yes. yes. <laughs> Credit where it's due. That was a great movie. Oh yeah, this reminds me a lot of Ohio when I lived in Ohio. So I lived in Centerville, Ohio. So it was very much that I could go out of my door of my house and walk down the sidewalk, and people would wave and were watering their lawn, and it was just that that sort of wasn't a utopia that was just how the world was then like your kids could go and play in the neighborhood and you wouldn't have to worry about somebody reaching out grabbing them dragging them in and touching them funny <laughs> but, got but really but, descriptive oh yeah you know but you know we didn't have well you know it's it's not something everyone talked about but uh or did very often anyhow so <laughs> the ozone depletion <laughs> hairstyle there was that concern that they used the automatic hairspray the pressurized can hairspray that the, the air that they used to pressurize was was uh, basically an ozone-screwing gas, but that you'd have women just going, <laughs> create that giant beehive. Uh, and it's just a funny reference. So they're in Middletown, and I feel like, you know, growing up in, John and I both grew up in the Midwest. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, and it really, this kind of describes the town we were from, too. This This really is just your quintessential Midwestern town, and even brings that up, you know? Uh, he he says that it was it was rendered or it was made to look like it was just 
constantly a like a really nice evening in late fall, which in the Midwest is a little bit cold because late fall would be kind of like what the beginning of November. Yeah. And and yeah. I want to say this, if 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 Middletown is anything like where John and I grew up in the Midwest, October is where you get your golden fall days. November is just gray from well, fucking beginning to end. You don't also, see the sun for a whole month. It also rained like every Halloween. Every so like Halloween. At the end of October, it was cold and rainy. Yeah. So no, by it, the end of November, you didn't know if it was going to be just cold rain or snow, but it was cold. November in in the Midwest is like watching the fucking crow. You remember in the movie The Crow where it's just Well, that's constant. like every day in Seattle. Uh, yeah. It's just it's rain all the time. Yeah. And it's nasty. But but October's beautiful up there cuz it's still you're still getting like a little bit of warm weather. It's like usually in the 60s or so. Good walking around weather. But he brings up at this part too uh that He's he's sort of unclear as to why Halliday would want to recreate his boyhood home because it's not like he really had a a good childhood in Middletown, Ohio. I mean, his parents, for all intents and purposes, we don't really get a lot of background on that. But for all intents and purposes, his dad was a, an abusive drunk, his mom was bipolar, and 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 it sounded like a pretty dysfunctional household. At the same time. They did kind of support his interests because they bought him his first color computer. Um, I got my first so, computer in Ohio. What's that? I got my first computer in Ohio. Did you? Really? I did. It was <laughs> oh, nice. So you were working on the Trash 80 in, <laughs> in the middle of Ohio? Uh, we had Trash 80s too, so yeah, at school. Yeah, so this this resonated with you. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> I wouldn't build Centerville, though. But I got to say this. You know, I mean... Without getting too personal, you know, I mean, there, there, there are things that I look back, you know, not very fondly to when I was a kid. But, you know, there are still things I think about that just, you know, the memories, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like maybe he's, he's remembering the, the, the better parts of it, you know. I yeah. mean, it's still a part of who he was as a person. Right. There's still good things that influence the person that he became Yeah, that that makes him or had made him remember this time fondly somehow. Uh, and in the picture, the Kmart picture <laughs> that Wade, Wade encounters in the house where, you know, you got the dad and the, and his mom and he's wearing, uh, oh, he's wearing a t-shirt, a gaming t-shirt. What, uh, what t-shirt is he wearing? I thought it was a, um, asteroids. Yeah, asteroids. He's wearing so he's wearing. Yeah, he's wearing an asteroids T-shirt, and it, you know, I'm sure he's happy in that moment. You know, this this is you know, for my first read through, I just figured that this was just Halliday creating a place of of nostalgia. But when you bring up that point, like this is really not the best point of nostalgia. Say for that, it's the moment of transition in his life where he gets a computer and he gets that one game and he discovers the Easter egg that kind of triggers the events in his life to get to where, well, where Parsifal is now. So it's critical for Parsifal or critical for anybody going on that path. But we had talked about a number of chapters ago, maybe the idea that if you were Willy Wonka and you're trying to raise up somebody to take your place and you're trying to get them to go through or walk in your footsteps, how would you do that? 
and I hadn't thought about this the first time I read through the book, but it's, you know, he's basically taking him to his childhood. He's saying, I'm creating you in my form, and this is where we need to start, which is where all this shit started for me. Right, Uh, yeah. You get to experience the sum of my, you know, the the environment of my upbringing. Yeah, that I'm, I'm going to... You're going to see where I'm coming from, so then when I release this to the right person, you've been through. I, I get where that, like, I, I think on, and it would be it would be difficult to write it out, uh, you know, to to really, you know, say all of that in a very compressed sort of way mm-hmm. where it fits in, because I think that's probably the sentiment behind it. But you got to remember, Halliday's a reclusive guy. It's not like he's going out and really enjoying Middletown, Ohio. You know what I mean? I mean, it, he's he's. <laughs> He he prefers to be in his room by himself when he's a kid. You know, yeah. he's in there playing video games. So he's not out there like drinking in Middletown. But, you know, but I, but I get what you're saying. Like, you you know, you're kind of walking through the phases of his life, you know, and that's where it all starts. Yeah. And that's something we'll break out. I think I think, you know, that develops throughout the book. Um, we don't want to go too far into it because John's here, and so mm-hmm. you're muffed. Later, <laughs> but later, um, we'll listening. talk about it later. We'll dish behind Ryan's John's back. But I think it's I think it's interesting. You know, I mean, there there was one thing that Wade says here that I think points again to his sort of um, to, to how naive he is to the way the world works. Is you know he 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 says if I were to program the Oasis. I would never go back and program the stacks. Well, first of all, you did in the very first thing that you could oh, make. That's a great yeah, point. The game. That's a great point. Like, so he did it. First of all, he really yeah, did. You it. did that. That's exactly what you did. Your pet project, your first, your first programmed game as a gunter was called the stacks. Yeah. And it was about yeah. living in the stacks. Wow, that's so, a good point. That is a good so, point. So yeah, I mean, it's don't it's, lie to yourself, kid. You do exactly, the exact same exactly. Thing. But at the same time, you know, if he's saying, "I if I could make a complete visual representation," if he were here, you know, defending himself on that point and saying, "Like, well, no, I, you know, if I hated that place, why would I want to see it again?" It's like, dude. Middletown in the 80s versus the fucking stacks in 2045 are vastly different places. Yeah. <laughs> you live in you live in basically what could be if if you were to imagine hell, it looks a lot like the stacks. Yeah. I could see a I I could see a, a story or a book further off in the future, maybe not the next one, that is Parsival taking Halliday's place in passing off the helm to someone else. And doing something similar in the stacks, the game he created, being one of those challenges, and it mimicking in a in a in an homage sort of way to his proto uh, to his to his teacher who is Halliday. But you're right. Like I didn't even think about the fact yeah. that that he already did what Halliday is <laughs> doing now, and almost mm-hmm. it seems like he could be setting himself up to do the same thing with someone else. Right. That's a yeah. really good insight. Yeah. But, but yeah. And, you know, I mean, why he did it, you know, I mean, he, he was doing sort of an, you know, uh, an Atari style game. So maybe it seemed like, you know, that aesthetic worked well for what he was trying to do. And it was probably kind of simple. But still, you could make it about a lot of different things, right? It's not like you haven't seen the whole world through the Oasis. You know what I mean? Even if, 
even if the world outside of you is bad, by that point, he had lived his entire life through the Oasis. So, so to choose the stacks for his first game, it's like, you know, well, yeah, you do kind of understand where he's coming from. You did the same exact thing. <laughs> Maybe he'd recreate the stacks in the Oasis now that... Oh, God, no. God, like one planet covered in stacks. <laughs> recreate the poverty as well. <laughs> no, thank you. You get to the planet and you listen... Hmm. Abject poverty. Yep, <laughs> yeah. that's right. I'm going to turn yeah. that smell machine what you, off. What are you doing this weekend? I'm going to head up to Giza, check out the pyramids. What about you? I'm going to go live 16 other people in a mobile home. <laughs> and hope it doesn't tip in over. In a very dangerous situation, yeah. Like, uh, high, high above. This one's hey, got cats. You know, yeah. <laughs> ah. Basically, Matrix-style pods just filled with people. <laughs> A lot of sad NPCs that are not happy to see you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and the NPC of my uncle Rick, who's a shithead, <laughs> like just some tattooed cover XCOM. Every once in a while, things. one of the one of the homes explodes off in the distance. It's a nice world. <laughs> what can I say? I miss the smell of meth labs. <laughs> it's that ether smell, you know. <laughs> It just reminds me of home. <laughs> that and dryer sheets, just ether and dryer yeah. sheets. Ether and dryer <laughs> sheets. Sleeping on the floor. And a little bit of cat urine. Yeah. <laughs> and smell uh, machine off. Moving on. Wade is running through uh, Middletown, making his way. And I find it interesting at this point, he's not really referencing a map. It's like he knows the exact route to get to Halliday's house. He's prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may not have been to Middletown, but he knows the map. He knows the way. You know, he's on his way. Um, and then he finally gets there, and he's describing the interior of Halliday's house. Now, we've, we've had this. This was sort of prefaced in the prologue to the book um, when they were describing what Halliday's house looked like while he was playing the Atari during Anorak's Invitation. Yeah. You know, Paneled on the walls, a disgusting mustard-colored carpet. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I was I was a child, probably more of the '90s than the '80s, but this this time was recent enough to where some of the houses I went in had sort of a similar aesthetic to them. (laughs) You know, I remember one of my friends' house; his bedroom had bright red, just red carpet. Yeah. I my childhood home had that like plastic like textured wallpaper that like popped <laughs> out. So oh, yeah. it was like so it like had depth to it and like you peel <laughs> it so it was tacky. like a sticker. Oh my god. <laughs> basically. And then I had like blue or green uh carpet in my room to match that. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. It was disgusting, but you look back at stuff like that and you were like at what point in history did people look at that and be like, oh, that's gorgeous. That's exactly what I'm looking for. It's like, did you not know what other options there were? Like, that's gross. Uh, like, white has always been around. White paint has always been around. Or even that, like, mirror with, like, the gold specks over it as a wall. Uh, right. Do you remember that? Had oh. that. You had, had that? that. Oh my god, <laughs> dude! It's that. It's that shitty seventies shades of brown and wood. And then you take that fifteen or twenty years later, 
and it also has that layer of yellow from smoking. And it's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's a car. It's this fucked up wood paneling and orange carpet that I bet looked awesome when you were high in the seventies. Not so much in the eighties. It just—it's like the visual representation of depression. Every time I see that, I'm like, "This is it. Like, this is what depression looks like." I, I wonder it's how all- long it took for that fad or those styles to like for somebody to install that into their home, and then like how long it took for them to say, "Wow, that was not a good choice." Like, did it take a a year, or did it take ten years, a whole decade for them to figure that out? I'll say this: my wife is obsessed with the 70s aesthetic. She loves it. I don't know why. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what. And she, I don't she'll agree with be, her. We'll, we'll, go to, we'll go on like Craigslist sometimes or like sometimes we'll go to like a yard sale or something and she will just find the tackiest shit and be like, oh my God, I love that. And I'm like, really? <laughs> well, John, you've seen some of this stuff in my house. Like those, like those little wood, like wood framed mirrors. Yeah, rectangles and all different shapes, but then you lay them on the wall. <laughs> like some of it's kind of cool, yeah. out of context, not with the rest of the stuff around it. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to match things that are that eclectic, you know, because you don't have a lot of things in your house that are shit brown or mustard yellow <laughs> or burnt. It's orange. like, oh, this goes with something gross. <laughs> You know, some of them were made like nicely on accident, but they were made for that aesthetic. And I'm it's looking awful. for the color of puke. You have that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's what it's like. It's like Crayola's uh, shit tone pack. It spans from like apple green to crazy dark brown. It's just the like worst a... colors. <laughs> if I, if I, let, let, what color am I looking for? Let's see. If I had to describe it in one word. Discharged. <laughs> oh, what the inside of the wagon in Oregon Trail really would have looked like <laughs> after after Johnny had dysentery. It's like those wall tones. I'm looking for green apple splatter. Do you have that in in one of those little tone cards in the paint aisle? Apple green apple splatter. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, not so much. Yeah. And then 70s. I'm looking for I'm looking for a wallpaper to complement it that just looks like a densely overgrown flower garden. <laughs> and I want no spaces of color in between. I just want these pastel flowers just draping down my wall. Oh yeah, the flower wallpaper was I want popular. so much depth in my wallpaper that I want to see shadows when I look at it from an angle. <laughs> <laughs> I want to walk in this room and just have crippling anxiety. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> So if we were, if we had walked into Halliday's house, this would have happened for about another hour. <laughs> it would have been like a really awful version of HGTV. It would just be us walking around and just critiquing everything on the walls. Shit my house. Imagine that in the middle of the quest. Like, can we take a moment here to just talk about how shitty this place looks? Just in completely sarcastic, like, you know what I really like about this place? The small rooms and how closed in the kitchen feels. And how dark it is. Yeah. I would have maybe made the, the, the window of the sink a little bit smaller just to keep out that pesky, you know, natural light. But no matter how the rest of the house looked, I think we the, jury, <laughs> the jury's out on that one. We've, we've pretty much come to our, you know how we feel about it, folks. Uh 
behind the uh, behind uh, young James Halliday's door is uh, what I would call kind of a dreamland. Sounds pretty awesome in there. You know, it's every kid's it's every kid's bedroom. Yeah, I mean, or yeah, dream well, bedroom. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit. Like, like I think before when we were talking, it might have been before you were on the show, Chris. But like, there's something about your childhood bedroom. You remember it just fondly. You know what I mean? Every time I think about like, like, like something that just kind of puts me at ease is remembering my childhood bedroom. And like, you know, the music that I used to play in there, my little desk set up in there. Like it was just your stereo system or pitiful excuse for a stereo system. And the funny thing is, the funny thing is, is the older you get, the less freedom you have. Like I, I own a home now. And it wasn't until about a year ago that I got my own room again. <laughs> I own this entire fucking structure and I don't have a room to myself. You've got the closet. Yeah, you do. You do still have the closet. Well, no, now I've got my office. Oh. So this is like, and, and believe me, I, I want to be clear on this. It looks like a child's bedroom in here. It really it used does. to be your game room. I'm not, pr- exactly. It's my game room. It's got my Destiny posters on the wall, my Ghostbusters cell. Um, my pit boy over there on the shelf. <laughs> it's impossible for me to get any real work done, so to call it an office is gratuitous. Yeah, that's my office right now. I'm just a big 42 year old child. Yeah. <laughs> well, I get and, to play and, around. You know what, though? For guys like us, though, you know, I mean, guys who are interested in this book or girls, you know, that's that's a special place to you. So when you do have your own space, it still looks a lot like what your room looked like as a kid or what you would have dreamed it could look like because now you have complete you have money. Yeah. <laughs> You're not just yeah. collecting crap. You can invest. Buying crap. When I was a kid, I probably wouldn't have gotten the uh, collector's edition of Fallout 4, but now that I'm an adult, <laughs> I can do that. So I have a pit boy. You don't have to explain that one to mom. Just yeah. the wife. Yeah, exactly. After you made the purchase. I have to work three and a half weeks <laughs> bagging groceries just to save up for it. Does that go on your wrist? <laughs> Does it do anything? Oh, no, I still had to explain that to the wife. <laughs> yeah, no, Jamie, when, when, when I brought that thing home, the first thing I did was open it up and put it on my wrist, and she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, what did you think? I was going to be able to mow the lawn with it? Yes, it's a toy for a man. It's a toy for a grown man. It's a collector's item. It's a a $200 toy that just sits on my wrist. She's like, yeah, that was it. This is what she said. She's like, so does it just sit there? And I was like, yeah. She's like, why? I was like, just look at it. You enjoy it. It's It's, it's a piece from the game. It's cool, goddammit. Yeah, and she's like, oh. And how much was it? I was like, I, I, conversation over. I don't want to talk about it anymore. All right. I love that it's there. You, you could have said, you could have said, you know, $25 and she would have thought that was too much. And she would have thought that was too much. Yeah. yeah. She wouldn't have been, she wouldn't have been wrong. I've got my own criticisms on the way those pit boys came out. She wouldn't have been wrong. I do love having it though. I'd argue that it is a, it is a symbol of nostalgia that encapsulates hundreds of hours of enjoyable experience. And that that's the reason why you save, like, the fucking card from your wedding. It's a symbol of that experience. It is a, it is a, just a, it's a memory encapsulated in an item. And when you pick it up, it kind of takes you back to that place. I, and I, I love that. 
I think that was the disclaimer that came with that <laughs> Pip Boy Special Edition to give to the spouse that that's didn't understand the purchase. And that's why it's three hundred dollars. <laughs> it just starts in bold lettering. Keep in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Dear significant other. <laughs> or look, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> that's how here. the conversation starts off anyways. <laughs> look. <laughs> if you didn't go through it, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, look, man. I'm not 100% proud of this. I love that I have it. But I'm not going to apologize for it. <laughs> anyways, so, broadcasting live from my... My child's bedroom of an office. <laughs> um, but yeah, now now in the book we are in we are in Halliday's boyhood bedroom, and it is adorned with, you know, it's pretty clear when you walk in what type of person you're dealing with here. Pink Floyd posters on the wall, movie posters, real genius, um, war games, war games, his Atari, his Atari, this is loaded out, and you know, and the thing is, is Halliday. In Anorak's invitation was how old again? Did it say nine or ten? Like, like I thought it was like nine-ish. Like, I could be wrong, but that's the number that's popping in my head, maybe. So let's yeah. say this was his bedroom until he moved out of the house. You know, because when you're nine or ten, I don't imagine you're loving on Pink Floyd so much. But, yeah. but still, uh, you know, at any rate, I mean, those kinds of posters, his mom and dad had to be, like, kind of buying them for him, you know? I mean, how much income did do you have when you're 14 in the 70s, or how over old he he was when he got? How old was he when he got his TRS-80? I don't remember. I don't recall. It had to yeah, be still pretty young, early. maybe 15, 14, 15, somewhere around then. Yeah, somewhere he, was, there, he, yeah. He, he was still pretty young when he got his TRS-80. So it's you know, I mean, it's you know, his parents are helping him furnish this room too. And to be honest with you, I mean, if you think about families in this or parents in the 70s. It's pretty cool, you know, to let him have a Pink Floyd poster up on the wall. Yeah. And real genius if they were the ones buying it for him. You know, I mean, it sounds like in one way or another, sort of a supportive environment. Now, I am totally over extrapolating. I mean, I think it was put in there just to describe the aesthetic or the things that he liked. Well, I mean, somehow he obtained them. Yeah. Although back in that day, you could probably tend bar at 14. <laughs> you know. I was so, working at Dairy Queen at fourteen. He may have been been uh, like purchasing posters with with his tips <laughs> from the weekend. Yeah. Pay me in posters <laughs> and audio cassette tapes. So speaking of audio cassette tapes, this is uh this is a part that I'm really glad we have Chris here for. Oh my god! So we're in the bedroom. We're at the trash. Uh oh, and. We are getting ready to load up the Dungeons of Daggerath, where Wade's pretty certain he's going to find the first gate. Um, now, one of the things he talks about here, and we talked about this a little bit when, I can't remember what chapter it was, but we were talking about when he got the TRS-80, we were talking about early coding and basic. Chris, you had mentioned that there was no way to save your, de- your data directly onto the TRS-80, so you would stay up and code all night and have your thing. And when you were done, you were done. Right. But he mentions that, you know, you record everything onto magnetic, you know, um, analog tape. Um, explain kind of how that works. So I have a little show and tell. Obviously, I can't do the show. It's really cool. Like, um, 
when we were talking about how my bedroom, my office now is like my bedroom as a kid, mm-hmm. that couldn't be truer now because I, I bought my my first computer <laughs> as oh, an adult. Wow. I know, right? It even has the rebate sticker. Offer good through January 31st, 1984. So I missed the rebate. <laughs> So, so for those not listening, for, for for those out there listening and not seeing this, Chris just held up the box for his TRS eighty, <laughs> or at least yeah, I like it at least. I, so, like this this to give you an idea as to what that looked like at that time. I mean, yeah. it, you would hook a cassette recorder to that on the side, and as you so, saved off your game, it would literally record it to a tape. So yeah. what it looks like basically is just a very small TV like you might have in your room. In front of that, uh, a very blocky looking keyboard. This thing mm-hmm. is pretty huge. And then off to the side, uh, plugged in through what looks like kind of a headphone jack, uh, is one of those tape recorders you used to see probably when you were in elementary school. Look, It's just look a, a giant look at, rectangle. Look at this one closer. What does that look like? Oh, that's to set the phone on. Yeah, that's right, dude. Oh, wow. That was phone for receiver. a fucking phone. Oh, that was awesome. Anyhow. But, but yeah, so so they're putting in, uh, explain to me how this works. So it's it's just basically the predecessor to the floppy disk. That's exactly it. I mean, you're recording digital output to a magnetic surface. And it's very similar to like when you saw War Games and they had those huge machines and the tape reels start spinning when the Whopper starts freaking out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like you knew the computer was doing shit because those giant tape reels started spinning at 100 miles an hour. Well, then take that and combine it down to like the size of a tape recorder. And that was how it worked for a small computer. So how much could you So we're talking about just like a cassette tape that you would set into your car in... Play. They were the same kind of cassette tapes, right? Exact same, yeah. So Nothing how much special. could you fit on something like that? I never maxed it out, <laughs> but uh, I never typed anything huge either, so I don't know. You could so you, fit... but, but, I mean, obviously you could fit a whole game on there. Would sure. you have to flip the tape to play the whole game? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I only, I only used it to record software I wrote, but for that particular gaming system, games came on cartridges, which, which uh, was kind of... So a I, bigger I, audio tape? No, <laughs> no, they resembled like what you'd imagine a little plastic cartridge would be. So it had oh, its okay. own little onboard memory and you'd stick it in and play a shitty two-color game. <laughs> and that little monitor you were talking about, not included, that was actually a television set. That was actually a television. Yeah. Like that shit plugged into the part where your antenna would plug in. Oh, and an antenna is what people used to put on their television. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> Describe an antenna again, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was just crap. You'd screw down the little antenna plugs, like they didn't plug in. They were like prongs. So the, you'd like have the, a screw the prongs. They're like prongs. the two. Oh wow! Yeah, shitty, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so it it was so, uh, it was interesting. So that's what Wade's sitting in front of right now, um, loading up uh, Dungeons of Daggerath. I don't think we talked about it on the show, but a couple of weeks ago we were kind of talking about um, if whether any of us had played. Did we talk about whether we'd played Dungeons of Daggerath or not? I don't think any of us had, but I we looked into it. Yeah, yeah. We we were going th- we were going through. Uh, I think we were watching gameplay from Dungeons of Daggerath. Yeah, we? I think yeah. so. And that and that screen that like 
screen with the wizard is the very first thing that pops up, which is what he describes uh, yeah. when he starts the game, which is pretty cool. <laughs> but for uh, the be- the best way to describe Dungeon Dagger, if you if you haven't seen it before, um, Chris Chris had a really good description for it. It's almost like watching a game if uh, if if you know what you're seeing in front of you is constellations that you played connect the dots on. <laughs> it's it's just a ve- you know it's a vector hallway with a vector character that will pop out every now and again. So it, it, it is set against black. So it's just white lines and black. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it, the, the way that I described it is, it's like a vector version of. I think it's like the second or third level in Contra, where as opposed to seeing like the side scrolling, you're moving forward down that hallway and you're moving just kind of side to side. Mm-hmm. It's like that without all the movement. <laughs> you know, it's that like front on hallway view. Um, but as far as how the gameplay works, I don't know. I've I've never actually played the game. I've well, not said either. it's like yeah, it's a you type right. You type uh, turn left, turn yeah. right, attack, yeah, pick up, whatever. So that's a type based game. It's just running right? off of just commands. Yeah, command prompts. So uh, Wade, because of his vast Gunter knowledge, uh, pretty much knows his way through Dungeons of Daggerath. He's already beat it. He bet he beat it a while back. So. This is just kind of a breeze to him. And before you know it, he reaches the very end of the Dungeons of Dagrath. What I thought was, I mean, I know he's beaten it before. He said he played it a few years back, and it took a better part of a weekend to defeat. But yet, it only takes him two hours to beat this go-around. So is it more maze-like in where you have to figure out the right moves to make your way through this is is that is that why it only takes him two hours compared to two days i'd imagine i'd imagine so i'd imagine it's kind of like uh, mario brothers how you can get through it in five minutes but you you could spend like hundreds of hours playing the game potentially maybe not in a row but you could spend a lot exploring everything Mm -hmm. but this wasn't a huge game but again it's like constellations where you've got this wall perspective where you've got a a, a rhombus square represent rhombus represents like one wall where the lines kind of angle down to demonstrate that there is depth to this. Yeah. It's not even a it's not two D trying to be three D. It's one D trying to be three D. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I, it know, could have been. It's you know it's it's funny too because like like if you were to sit down, I mean, it's very cumbersome to play a game like this. It's it's difficult. Mm-hmm. But for you know, if you're if you're into retro things, the aesthetic of it is pretty cool. I think. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool looking. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, if you haven't seen it before, it's definitely uh, worth looking up. You can actually go to YouTube and watch playthroughs of the Dungeons and Daggerath, mm-hmm. and you know, which you know, to some of you out there, probably sounds like hell. But I actually watched like a full playthrough. It was yeah, really I cool. I, I think I got 15 minutes in and I was like, yeah, you're just like what's going to happen next? You know what I mean? You're getting gross. Would, would any of you guys have played that game though if it had not been mentioned in the book? Back, in the, back in, the, in the day or no, now? No, I mean like now. Um, I will say this. I, I did go back. I played Zork before I, before I read this book. Okay. And like when I I played Zork I think for the first time in like 2010 just cuz I was interested 
so uh, somebody had told me about it and I was kind of interested in how that would work. Mm -hmm. I thought it was kind of a neat concept that like, you know, you have to kind of visualize where you're at. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be honest, I didn't know Dungeons and Daggerath even existed before the book. Neither did I. But if I, if I I had, I might've played it. Having played those crappy games when I was younger and I I had never played this one. (laughs) I had not played this crappy game. I really did enjoy them when I was younger, even like, you know, like Pong, where you just tennis, two blocks and a ball. Yeah. Uh, you know, my friend and I would get up in his camper, and we would play that on his little television set. And, uh, you know, it was just it was just neat. It was, uh, you know, almost like, like hacking, you know, <clears throat> where you're uncovering something that's just unusual in your everyday experience. But, you know, that was... Now I look at it, I don't think I would have even fathomed the idea of, of playing that game until we started until I read this book. Now I was kind of like, wow, this kind of has an interesting connection. And it, now I have a renewed interest in that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Like I can go back and play Atari games now and really enjoy them. I can go definitely stand up arcade machines like joust or, uh, you know, every time I go to Sutri's, I play joust. Uh, I can go back and I can play Donkey Kong. I can play Galaga. Those are all games that I've always really liked playing, and if I see them somewhere, I will I will drop a quarter and play at least one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, you know, I mean, you've got Xbox One, PS4, PC. I mean, you know, what you can do with a video game is absolutely stunning. We're not Oasis yet, but still, it's getting better and better all the time. It's weird, though, because anything that's, you know, arcade up to, like, 32-bit, I can go back and play and enjoy but then you get to like PS1 and stuff like that and I cannot play that. <laughs> like I can't go back and play the first Twisted Metal on PS1 because it's just so the way it moves, the way it looks, it's like I feel like I'm playing a game without my glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crunchy. It yeah. <laughs> and just the way the frames move, it's all like, oh, it's just so difficult. To yeah. Play. I agree. But it's, it's weird they tried to be so like detailed in the picture, but the graphics weren't good enough to portray that on they your weren't screen. There yet, yeah. yeah, so it's like it's weird, the but... wheels are blocks still, <laughs> you, but it's faded around around it to make it look kind of circular. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this cutting edge has a rounded edge. Actually, when you go back <laughs> far enough, it's. <laughs> but it's it, it, there's an interesting thing here, and we haven't really experienced it too much, like. If you like if you talk to somebody about like the games they're nostalgic for, like they're going to say like Nintendo, Sega Genesis, that kind of stuff. And they'll talk about like, you know, when was the last time you played Sonic the Hedgehog for me? It wasn't that long ago. You know, when was the last time you played Streets of Rage 2 uh, today with my son? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously, it's up on my TV right now. (laughs) I mean, you know, those are games that I can go back and play. but. You don't go back to, like, Dreamcast games. Yeah, like, I'm not going to go back and play, like, you know, I remember the first Tony Hawk game fondly, and I'll play a remastered version of it. But if you go back and play the first Tony Hawk game for PS1, it is, it's hard to look at. (laughs) So there's, like, a nostalgia gap for me. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I really love Twisted Metal, but there's no fucking way I'm going to go back and play it. Yeah. I don't have the patience for it anymore. And that's you're saying that's the same thing for you, Chris. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like it, for some of these games, like Donkey Kong, 
for me, it's a, a nostalgia jump. Like I still have buried in my head software the feelings and the environment of my home in Florida, and and sitting after doing my homework before, um, uh, what was the fucking gray cat? Whatever the the lion cats were, the cartoon, and I would play Thundercats. Thank Thundercats. you. Thundercats. <laughs> before oh, yeah. that would come on, I'd play for like an hour at Donkey Kong. And just to get to level 40 for me was like, that was the thing. Like, that's how far I could go without dying. And it was a huge that's accomplishment at the time for a kid. So it, it's almost like time traveling, but comparing it to games today, if you don't have that nostalgia hook, it's very difficult to, to uh, stomach, visually stomach the gameplay of some of the older stuff. Luckily for us, Wade has the patience and the resolve to make his way through the Dungeons of Daggerath. And at the end of it, he's notified, or did we skip the part? I think we skipped that he knows he's on the right track when he starts the dungeon. Because the soundtrack for Conan the Barbarian starts. Oh, yeah. Conan the Barbarian. Dun, 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 And then it flips over. Which is going to be... And it plays awesome in the movie. Lady Hawk soundtrack on the, on the other side. At a certain point. Yeah. yeah, on the other side. And he says, I can't wait to tell H about yeah. this. <laughs> now, I didn't think about this. Have you guys ever played, did you ever play like your favorite song while playing a certain game? And from that point forward, that became your go-to pair for playing something? I do that now. Oh, really? No, I don't do it. I do that now, yeah. What What's your game music pair? Um... It's it's usually a mix. Like oddly enough, I do like I never really listen to hip hop all that often. But when I'm playing games, I'll I'll, I'll usually put on like Earl Sweatshirt or something like that. Um, I think at one point I had a uh, a playlist that that I listened to. I know I had one on Xbox Live for a while in Groove. I had built a playlist, um, but usually it's it's you know it's some electronic music. One of the guys that was in my my clan for destiny his name's mal uh what he does and this is pretty interesting is like he does like you know as a hobby he does like remixes of songs so he'll take the entire soundtrack for a game and do like a more charged up remix version of it oh that's cool and it's not it's not like a slamming electronic thing he'll put like you know like 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 orchestral music behind it and stuff like yeah. that and just like mix it all together it just makes like a much more intense driving version of it and then he will he will like rename it and everything and then that's all he listens to while he plays the game and what he'll do is he'll shut off the music on the game but not like the sound effects so he's still got his music yeah. his music is just the backdrop to the game that's, that's pretty interesting awesome. yeah pretty it's cool. really cool yeah i mean he he just he swears by it uh, and the stuff he puts out is pretty cool. Mine was Apache. There was a an Apache flight simulator, which really equated to three different colors, a horizon, dots, and if I got close enough, a box that represented a tank that I would blow up. And every time I played, I would play "Push It" by Salt and Pepper. As a as a like ten or eleven years old, what? I'd crank that up and I'd turn on the engines and the propel the simulated propeller would get going and it was awesome. You would crank I, you would crank salt and pepper. Yes. Uh, you, I just want to make sure I heard that right. 
Ah, uh, push it, push it real good. No, I've never. No, I'm been aware of the song. Comfortable with you. <laughs> I'm aware of the song. Are you sure you're aware? Because it's it's on iTunes, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. But I I gotta wonder if that's what he's doing here. Like maybe this, maybe Conan the Barbarian, and Lady Hawk. Is like the music he was listening to while playing this game. So literally, as, that was as he's jam, playing, yeah. he you're experiencing the music that that kind of charged his playing the game. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. I mean, you know, everybody's got their charge up music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if you don't play video games and you run or something or you work out, like you know, everybody's got their soundtrack that that gets their blood flowing a little bit. You know, I don't I don't do it necessarily with games. I like to hear everything that's going on. Uh, I like to, I try to uncover everything in the game that I'm playing. So I don't want to be distracted anyway, but you're right. When I'm doing like chores or things around the house, when I'm mowing the lawn, it's like, yeah, I go, you know, I know I've got a playlist of, 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 uh, of the right music to accomplish those things with these. Well, these days the games have like movie level orchestral shit just baked in. Like it's, Award-winning music. I have a. Uh, I do actually have my most recent games playlist here. Huh. And uh, <laughs> God, this is just the one that. This is just the one that I've been listening to most recently. Um, it starts off with "Sabotage" by the Beastie Boys. Oh yeah. Goes to "Beautiful People" by Marilyn Manson. <laughs> <laughs> um, then "Girl, You Have No Faith in Medicine" by the White Stripes. Then Gimme Some More by Buster Rhymes. Oh, jeez. That's awesome. And then Float On by Modest Mouse. That's nice. <laughs> Interesting. I don't think I've ever made a playlist that didn't start with Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> I know you have. <laughs> it was probably James Blunt. Oh, God. I wish you'd stop bringing Yeah, sorry. It's we'll so annoying on. every time. <laughs> we'll move on. But to your point, Chris, like, you know, these soundtracks have orchestral arrangements and some of them have cues in their music pertaining to what point in the game you're at. Like if it's a suspenseful part that music builds up and it it builds the, the environment of the game. So I, that's why I I try not to distract myself with outside music. Although there are games that are just kind of like mindless where like if you're playing Tetris, (laughs) Like you could listen to the to the song on Tetris, or you could just have your own playlist because it's not going to interfere. Or even like the Tony Hawk games; those were like perfect for like bringing an outside soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you really didn't need to listen to too much. Right. Well, they had soundtracks on Tony Hawk, too. Yeah, yeah, they did really good ones. Yeah, and the interesting that this is an interesting thing. We'll move on from from this at this point. But uh, do you remember with the Tony Hawk games? You could actually take the game and put it in your CD player, and it would play the soundtrack. I didn't know that, which was really cool. <laughs> that is, that cool. is really cool. I tried. Well, I didn't know that either because you know, I mean, I was I was pretty young at the time, and I just like I really like the music on there, so I decided to just put it in my CD player in my room just to see what would happen, and it started playing music. <laughs> And I went, I went back, I saw it on Reddit, like, fairly recently, like, on uh, the subreddit for gaming, that it's always just, like, this random factoid that, you know, today I learned, 
yeah. that you could listen to Tony Hawk <laughs> from the game. Did you guys ever play uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto? Any of the Grand Theft Auto games? Yes. Yeah. The one that I enjoyed the most was the one with the 80s soundtrack, Liberty City. That's the reason why I got that game out of the whole Grand Theft that Auto game. That was a good soundtrack. Was Liber- because you're in Liberty the car. City? Yeah, and you're... And you're listening to these commercials and these 80s songs and changing Vice the channel. City. And I don't know if the CDs actually could do with like what you were talking about, but it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case because the music was freaking awesome. Yeah. Well, there, uh, I think from that point, I don't know what point it was exactly. It was GTA, was it GTA 3 is when they started to incorporate uh, the expansive <laughs> radio stations with the, the DJs, which were actually voiced by celebrities. Um, G, was it GTA Three G- where that started? GTA Three was the first one I believe that wasn't top down. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you're right because I played GTA Two and that was aerial view. Yeah, that was the aerial view, just kind of hard. It, it was hard to play. Yeah, just because of it was fun. The, the, yeah, it was fun, but it was difficult to play, and it was you know just sort of I, if I remember it was it was it was eight bit still, wasn't it? Really? Or, no, like. But it was just top down, and it was, it was still pulled. Yeah, it was pretty. Was a third person pullback perspective? That was GTA. That that didn't happen until GTA Three. Oh wow! Up until GTA Three, it was all top down. Ah, and the controls were wonky because you know, depending on which way the car was facing, that would be. Yeah, it was still difficult to maneuver. So it would like mirror like right and left depending on which way you were facing. (laughs) It was a pain to play, but when you got used to it, when you got the hang of it, it was fun. Yeah. It's getting out and hitting hookers so much more difficult. Because you could that's, do that in the that's game. Why you don't the, don't that's laugh why you at me like GTA that's a games. thing. <laughs> so so basically what you're saying is that the guy that that that, that everybody's afraid of and won't let their kids out that, that oh. was absent from Middletown in the 1980s is you because you hadn't grown up yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I would do it. It was... <laughs> You've contributed hookers and, and, and pedophiles to this episode. Is it? Yeah. Is this what you, you would try what? to accomplish as an avatar in the Oasis? <laughs> Look, I have not talked about killing presidents. In it's this just episode a seedy yet. arms dealer. <laughs> I'm just saying you get bored in the game and figure out how to get five stars as quickly as possible. <laughs> Turns out hitting a hooker gets you one star. Only one. And it's a blinking star, too. So they're not quite after you if they don't see you. Yeah, You can drive looking. away and lose them pretty He's fast. around here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> before this gets any further down the the rabbit hole. I got nothing wrong um, with hookers, I might add. <laughs> nothing wrong with the profession, I'm yeah, just saying. Probably should have stated that first. <laughs> I've got nothing wrong with hookers, but I enjoyed running them over in a car. I've got hookers that are friends, but let me tell you, when I play a game, <laughs> the Rodney Danger thing I do. <laughs> okay, so as we finish up our game of Dungeons of Daggerath, uh, we we get another soundtrack blasting in the background, and this time it's um it's part of the score from 2010, the sequel to uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what was it. Do we know off the top of our head? Well, film score also Sprachet Zarustra. 
Of what? <laughs> That's what's it's in quotes. It's right there by Richard Strauss. It's Richard Strauss. Yeah. Did I, it was Richard Strauss? It's not Richard Strauss. I, it's Ricard. Okay, I, okay, it's Dick Strauss. Dick Strauss. Okay. <laughs> so Dick Strauss's score from 2010 <laughs> starts playing, and Wade looks over to find that the War Games poster has been replaced with a copper gate, and he walks over to that copper gate, gate inserts the key, opens it up, and finds in front of him a just basically the universe. It's just a story background. You see some <laughs> nebula in the background. It's it's to me this would be the most exciting thing in the world. My God, if I were Wade, it's and scary. It's full of stars. It's full of stars. <laughs> you know, but every time I read or hear this part, you know what it reminds me of? Uh, the the front of that Rush album cover. Where he's standing in front of that pentagram mm-hmm. with his arms up. Yeah. Okay. Which one is that? Is it 20, 2112? Possibly. I'm is not a huge album? Rush fan. But uh, possibly I don't know I've never why. Seen a Rush it just reminds album. me of that. Just like that, like you open it up and then, you know, you've got this just kind of amazing scene in front of you. I yeah. mean, that, that, that would be pretty, pretty breathtaking. It would also be a lot like falling in a dream. And he says, like, he, he doesn't hesitate at all. He just jumps right in. Yeah. Now, you're in a simulation, but I would be worried about being motion sick or something. <laughs> uh, I'd be worried about being dead. I mean, I, I get yeah, it. Like, yeah. You realize that's the gate, but no one's telling you to jump in. Like, <laughs> what, what if what if Halliday is in his spiritual form? He's like, oh, shit, that's not what I wanted you to do. <laughs> you're just supposed to wait and yes. see what was coming. <laughs> It's a loading screen. <laughs> uh, there's no user interface here. No one's saying jump the fuck in. And he said, does he say like he's just, it's like he's falling forward for for a while. It's like, what if you're just stuck there for eternity? Kind of like you're being just sucked falling forward, forward, maybe? Yeah. Oh, that's, I, that's the way I kind of, the, the way I kind of picture it, you know? <laughs> I mean, but then again, in space, there is no up or down, really. You know I mean? Yeah. yeah, you just kind yeah. of drift. Yeah, so I I just kind of pictured it as like drifting. You know, I mean he's he's not really falling forward. It's just when he enters, he's in a forward mo- momentum. So he's just kind of pulled you know, forward, falling right, forward. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. But that's that's where we end chapter ten. John, you uh, you have no idea what happens next. What do you think? He goes next? somewhere. Think next? Oh fuck! He goes somewhere. <laughs> That's what happens. Guys, next. John's a genius. What's I don't what, know why I have, didn't start doing I have this a one long time step ago. I have one step ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually end. what what I uh, the you know, just speaking on his not hesitating to enter uh enter the gate, you know at this point that that uh Artemis has defeated a Sararak and has the copper key and is headed to Middletown because he says, you know, there's no doubt she knows where to go. Uh, so maybe he's just like, I can't, uh, I can't afford any hesitation at this point. I gotta go. Well, he for says it. at the point when he's on his way to the house, he, he mentions that, um, that, that he keeps the scoreboard up to see. Right. And then he hears the trumpet music that says she's, she's 
obtain the copper key. So now she's up on the board. And he even says right at that point, like, I kind of picked up my pace. Yeah, he's yeah, he's referencing like the fact that he's anticipating something from her. So he's he's I think he feels her behind presence. him. He's yeah. Kind of... No, not <laughs> but he, he feels the the uh the stress of well, now now I know somebody is is on my heel, so I got to I got to push forward. And that's terrifying, you know, too. You know, this is a person who's obviously pretty quick. She got there before he did. You know, Mm -hmm. remember that. I mean, she's the one that found the location of the copper key before he did. So, you know, on on a lot of levels, she's actually, you know, a little bit more adept than he is, especially at figuring out the riddles. Right. But as far as gaming is concerned, he's obviously ahead of her in that aspect, but she's got to go play another game to, to get the, to get the gate. So I wonder, I wonder if she's played this game before, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have to wonder. I, I, I think though, you know, I mean, for her to get to the point where she found, you know, the first, you know, a little bit before he did, first of all, she has to have known about Dungeons and Daggerath. Mm-hmm. And second, you know, I, I think it would almost be impossible for her not to have played it. Because there's a part at the end of the last chapter where he talks about where, where, where he figures out the riddle, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. basically says that this was a big part of, this was the reason that Halliday made his first game. Didn't he say that? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there was so, the, the, the key at the end, the, the hidden uh, Easter egg at the end of the game. Yeah. So, so there's, I mean, there, there, there it is right there, you know, I mean, she, if, if it's, if it's the thing that, that basically led to the creation of the Oasis, mm-hmm. people, she would have, she would have played it. Yeah. She would have caught on to that and probably would have played that over joust. Now I, I do want to bring something else up in this chapter that I found one last thing before we get going. Um, was there anything that stuck out to well I'll, I'll just go into it he makes a big deal about the fact that adventure is not is not present mm-hmm. in the collection of games and that it can't be found anywhere in the middletown simulation and then that anytime adventure is brought to middletown and they try to play it in the trs 80 it can't uh, be played yeah it doesn't work huh and i've somehow missed that <laughs> In the past. Uh, I missed it too. I, even rereading it, I totally missed that. Huh. Because here, here's the weird thing. And, and I'm not like, I'm not spoiling anything for you here, John. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I, I read through and listen through the book pretty frequently. It's been a little while since I've made it all the way to the end. I'll usually go a few chapters ahead. Yeah. But I don't recall a part in the book where that's clarified. <laughs> But he actually, there's like a paragraph dedicated to it. It's yeah. not in the game collection. Right. Anywhere. People have looked all over to see if it's there, and it's not. People have brought their own copy of Adventure yeah. to Middletown and tried to play it on Halliday's TRS-80, and it does not work. Yeah, I remember reading that and thinking, huh? Wonder why. And I don't know why. It's just, yeah. it's it sticks out to me. I find it odd. Well, I, 
I wonder if if you're trying to force somebody to experience a part of your life, why would you potentially allow somebody to introduce something that is either off time or isn't introduced yet into that person's life? Like I would basically be like, don't bring your shit into my world because that's not how I experienced it. You're here to experience it how I want to experience it. But it was the it was the birth of the idea of the Easter egg. Right. Like, I don't know if it's just like a red herring in the story. Like he throws it in there just to kind of lead people in a different direction or what? Because like I said, as far as I remember, maybe it's something a little bit farther into the book that I just I can't recall. Yeah. But it's never really fleshed out why that's a significant thing. And it is significant because he whole damn paragraph. Yeah. points it out. Yeah. And not only, not only is it not present, and, you know, this is the place where in Anorak's invitation, he's playing Atari, and this is the place, you know, where, you know, in, in that, in Anorak's invitation, he's playing that game, and it's, you know, very conspicuously not there. And apparently in the Oasis, I find this interesting too, you can transport games from one place <laughs> to another. Almost in a physical way, so yeah, you probably have it in your inventory. Yeah, you put it in there, and it doesn't. It ex, you know, very clearly does not work. That's, I just find it interesting. So it, weird. I didn't even think. I've about never that. really zeroed in on it before. I don't know, like if it's just something I kind of glanced past, but it's just strange that there, there's this little subsection of the chapter that points that out. Yeah, I can't even think about it. Haven't even read the whole thing, and knowing what I know moving forward. I still can't, I don't know why that would be significant enough to dedicate a chapter's worth of words to talking about. You know, I feel like I missed something and I've read the whole thing several times. Yeah. So I'm lost in that. I'll be honest with you. I was nervous about bringing it up because I was like, shit, is there something I don't remember? (laughs) Yeah. Like, how did I miss this before? I'd love to hear the community's theories on that one because I'm kind of I would at too. a loss about why. So if you guys yeah. out there or girls out there listening to the show know something that we're missing or maybe recall something that we don't, please write into us. You can hit us up on Twitter at GTTGP pod, uh, Facebook, where we are. Is it Get to the Good Part podcast? Yep. Yeah. Um, you can, you know, if if you prefer if you prefer email, it's gttgp.pod at gmail.com. Um, or we're always up on the uh subreddit um r slash ready player one. Uh you can get a hold of us there too when we post this episode. Uh however you decide to get a hold of us, uh please do. We love interacting with you guys. Um so is a good time. So that's it for chapter 10. Awesome. Yeah, I guess. Uh, up next, we find out what's at the end of the starry hallway. <laughs> a place. A place. Yeah. Not the end and... of the book. He doesn't die, I guess. I don't want to ruin it for you, John. We'll see I'm, what happens. He may not die. That's actually the end of the book. The rest of it is just a completely different thing. It's, it's a, a bunch, different It's story. a bunch of dots on white pages. Just like dies stars. at the end. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. But before then, we will see you live streaming from Sutries. Woo.
Until next time, I am Ryan. I'm John. And this is Chris. So long, folks. July the 15th. Um, we're recording this episode on July the 15th. So, you know, we're, we're kind of pushing episodes ahead a little bit just so that we can be prepared for the live show. John's going to be flying out from Utah. We've got a lot of work ahead of us to get ready for this thing. Uh, so we're recording some episodes in advance. But by the time this one comes out, um, Ernest Klein, the cast of Ready Player One and Steven Spielberg will have hit the stage at Comic-Con. Um, we don't really know what's going to happen yet. Um, we're hoping for a trailer. <laughs> and if there was a trailer, then you've already heard us comment about it. <laughs> yeah, we will have done something for it, but we don't know. That's kind of the cool thing is we're we're talking to you from the past, so we're still very excited about it. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> Can we just say, oh wow, that was that trailer that awesome? That trailer what? was amazing. Wow, yeah. all the things that happened. About 15 seconds in, I didn't know. I the didn't actors, know what to think. The ones we saw were fantastic, and then there was that twist. Or if yeah. you want to add, if you want to add two parts to this, man, I can't believe they didn't show a trailer. I was really expecting a trailer. <laughs> yeah, part <laughs> two. Yeah, it'll be a cut we'll just moment. make this a cho- this is a choose your own adventure podcast. It was incredibly just, just disappointing. Choose whichever one fits.